It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to Frontline Friday. This is Andy Paul with my guest on Frontline Fridays, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So um, I thought we'd talk about something a little bit different today. And I'd seen this article, which I'd sent to you as well to, to look at. It's called Five Most Common Reasons People Say No on How to Get to Yes. And I thought it was a really interesting article. It had some good content. And I thought it's a good topic for us to talk about here today. This is great, Andy, especially because a lot of our previous sessions have been us uh, bashing is maybe too strong, maybe not, <laughs> but uh, pulling apart blog posts and content that we didn't like. So it's great to have one that um, is well-written, and there's, there is a lot of great advice. There's a lot of great advice out there. All right, uh, so let's, let's talk to jump right into it. Because So the first of the five reasons, most people, common reasons the author gives for saying that people say no and how to get the yes is the prospect does not fully understand the promise that you've made. You know, if you try to close too soon or you pitch too aggressively, I mean, I presume this is something you have to coach your people on. Yeah, and I, I guess I would pull this one apart a little bit. The prospect sure. doesn't fully understand the promise. It can also go back to the rep doesn't fully understand the problem. So they, 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 there may be a mismatch and, and this is what I find a lot is that reps will move too quickly and they don't really understand that the situation, the situation that their prospect is in. And so the prospect doesn't understand the promise because oftentimes we've missed, we're off the mark in terms of what, what the problem set is that we can potentially solve. That's yeah. my experience. What, what, what would you, what would you say about that? Yeah, well, and this is and this article is talking talking more specifically about uh, inside sales and sales development reps. And yeah, I think that, that what I see sometimes is that there's such a rush to execute the process, right? I'm scripted, and we've talked about the dangers of being too scripted before. And I think the service inherent in that that scenario is that you've got an SDR or BDR who's just a little too scripted, and so they sort of blow by the opportunities to ask the customer questions to really understand their needs. And so as a result, yeah, they can't make the two ends meet in terms of what your value proposition is compared to what the customer's object, uh, objectives and goals and, and needs are. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And so the author goes on to talk says that sometimes there's a problem is that the reps, and I, I don't see this quite as often, but I, I understand where he's coming from. He's talking about sometimes the reps are too familiar with the product or service they're selling and so they get into this assumption mode that they assume that the prospect knows exactly what they're talking about. Um, yeah, I've seen that. I don't think it's as common, but I but I have seen that depending on depending on who you're selling to. So let's say in the in the situation, in the case of Sumo Logic, it's a technical product, and the salesperson may be dealing with the developers and the engineers who are intimately involved with the different features with, with uh, the product, with our service. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then when you go to sell to maybe you need to talk to somebody who is maybe a level or two up, they have a different 
relationship and understanding of, of the product itself. And so they, the sales rep may be too knowledgeable with regards to kind of the product features that, that, that the decision maker doesn't need to know, doesn't need to know that. So they kind of go down, the knowledge that they have is not relevant to the person they're talking to. Right. Or not as relevant. They need to be able to up-level it and speak to uh, the value proposition that's going to be meaningful to that uh, to that the, to that person who they're talking to. Right. So they need to have the capabilities of of both doing a, a product justification, if you will, as well as a business case justification, and be able to Precisely. sell sell both. Right. And do you find that's that's difficult to be able to train your people to do both, to be, have that flexibility, to have that range of capabilities to be able to sell to both audiences, or is that a reasonable expectation within your world? Let's say. Uh, can I, may I answer yes to both? Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's a reasonable expectation. I, I, I think in a, I think in a technical sale, they need to, they need to be able to understand both. Um, where we lean here is we lean towards the sales reps. It's absolutely required that they have mastery around the business value. Mm-hmm. So they they have to have that, and I'd rather them lean a little bit more heavily with a, towards a sales engineer and bringing them in for technical mastery. Because to your point, Andy, it is hard. It's hard to master. It's hard to master both. There are reps that 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 are able to do that really effectively. But if I had to pick for a sales rep, which one they lean towards, I would pick the business mastery. Yeah, because you can get support through the sales engineering and so on. Precisely. Exactly. Okay. So the next reason then that was given and that people say no is that the prospect does not trust you. You know, we only buy from people we trust, but which is certainly true, I think. I mean, but how do you how do you build trust? I mean, what steps do you guys take and the way you train your reps and what you have them do that that are really designed to say, look, we're trying to really accelerate the building of trust? Because this is a big thing for me, and I've spoken and written about this at, at length, is that uh, I'm a big fan of the book, uh, The Speed of Trust. Stephen M.H. Covey talks about how um, speed facilitates, or trust facilitates the speed of economic relationships. The and, Speed of Trust. I need to read that. I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a great read for people out there. And like I said, the premise is, is quite good. I, I would probably tweak it a little bit, but but he said, look, you know, trust facilitates speed. You know, if you're dealing with somebody you trust in economic relationships. So if if you're dealing with uh, two entities, develop a high-level trust, then you're going to be able to you know, go through your business transactions more quickly, let's say, in a very simplified, <laughs> simplified summary of the book. But I think by the same token is that accelerating the development of, of trust, which is really speed, um, the speed can actually facilitate trust as well, right? I mean, if you're being there, you're responsive to the customers and their needs, that also is one way to build trust that then will also further facilitate and speed up the economic relationship. So, how do you build trust quickly? That's really the bottom line, right? How do you? What are the steps that a rep has to take to build trust quickly? So, I think one that that happens oftentimes before we even have contact with a prospect is they'll go look at our and the reps' profiles. What are they? What what is what is it? What do they say on their LinkedIn profile? What do they say on Twitter? So one one piece of that is what is your what is your social profile look like, and does it exude just a, a confidence 
knowledge, um, a person I want to work with. Competence. Competence. They understand my space. So does this look like a person that, um, that I could work with? And, and, you know, it's a funny thing. Pictures help. People that don't have a picture in their LinkedIn profile, I think is a big mistake. There's something about being able to see someone that we, we just develop. It's a, it's subconscious, but it matters that there's, um, you, you can put a a face to a name. Yeah, I agree. So I think all of those things that you're able to demonstrate by your social profile, um, as you said, Andy, being responsive, there are a couple of other things that I recommend to reps. I recommend when they're on a prospecting call to tell the customer, or prospect rather, things that the product or service can't do, that we're not as good at. And to because what that demonstrates is I'm not just trying to I'm, I'm not only trying to show you everything that's right. I'm, I'm trying to be authentic here. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to make it up. But there's a lot of things that our product and service does great. And there are areas that it, it maybe isn't, that isn't as strong. And that's okay. And I think you create a lot of trust by finding an opportunity to, to say, mm, you know what, I wouldn't say on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give us an 8 there whatever it is. So that, that would, that would be one that I encourage. Another one is I encourage the reps to create opportunities for fulfilling a promise. So for example, you might say that the prospect may say, you know, I'd like to get more information. Uh, I'd like to get a comparison between you and XYZ competitor to say, all right, I will have that to you by Thursday at 10 a.m. and then deliver it at Thursday at 10 before Thursday at 10 a.m. So make it very specific. So you start to, and you have to create, I, I encourage the team to create opportunities for that. Don't wait for them and hope they happen. Create opportunities to fill a promise because that also starts to uh, engender more trust. Oh, absolutely. It's a great point. And I, I talk about that in my first book is Zero Time Selling is that customers are going to, going to say, look, okay, well, if, based on the way you delivered on that promise you just made, look, I'm going to get this to you by Thursday. In their minds, they're going to s- extrapolate that to be, well, what was the experience of working with this company going to be like? Right? You take exactly. that small little thing, and the prospect is going to extrapolate from that the experience of working with your company. So that's why it's so important, because you're creating those first perceptions and impressions of you that really, the customer's not going to shake. Yeah, that's, and, that's the thing about first impressions. You know, there's been research done about it. Is that first perceptions? I call them first perceptions. Scientifically, it's done studies that people don't shake those off. You know, those are those are hard to change. And so, if you aren't really careful about, as you said, having the opportunity to be a service-oriented seller, delivering on promises, then the customer is just going to assume that you're just not very good at keeping your promises. And exactly that, right. And how, and how do you win that business at that point? And, and as you said, these, these first perceptions are hard to shake and some of them are very unconscious or subconscious in the, in the, in the minds of our prospects. So they may not even realize that they are, that, that they have a fixed model of how they, of this perception of you, but it's definitely there. It is. Yeah. I think the, I think the scientific term for it is, uh, let's see. Uh, 
pre sub or like subconscious precognition or something like that. It would, but it's I remember reading a paper about it when I was preparing for my my most recent book because I wrote about this because you know research shows that that people make up their minds about people within about 250 milliseconds, about a quarter of a second. God, yeah, isn't the, that amazing? About the time it takes to blink. So you think about that. You know, you have this one opportunity to make this impression. So you really need to be prepared to do it. And as we talked about, that really gets to this whole issue of trust. So first impressions, you have to be very prepared. As Bridget talked about earlier, you have to be very prepared when you interact with your prospects. All right. So next point, just to make sure we get through all five here is prospect does not believe in himself or herself. Now, I found this one, at least in a business-to-business space, not maybe not quite as, as convincing, but, um, you know, have you had experience with that? Yeah, I, I, this, one is, this one is probably the, the weakest of them in my mind. But I, I, I believe I understand what the sort of subtext is here. And that when we are selling to someone, there's always a human element. And we have to be aware of both the business win and the personal win and their business considerations and their personal considerations. And so if you're able to identify that somebody doesn't, doesn't believe in him or herself, that would change the way that I might go about selling to them. And, and what, are the, what are the sort of the value prop from a personal perspective to help bolster that? So I think that's, I think that's an interesting one that actually does does come into play in sales. If you've got a prospect that doesn't believe in him herself, they're not going to go to bat for you. Well, right. That's, and so I would probably just try to ferret that out pretty early and get myself a different champion or find a champion because that's going to be hard if they're not willing to step up and make a hard call because it, it may be in a lot of situations. It's, these aren't guineas. There are people that they're going to have to make the case for the product or service. So you do need you do need a strong person on the other end. Yeah, and if you look use the terminology of the new Challenger book that came out, the Challenger customer, they talk about mobilizers, right? So mm-hmm. instead of a champion, you have somebody that really has to mobilize the internal resources and the internal decision makers, right? To to be able to get the positive decision that you want. So is this a person that can be that internal leader, right? That they can mobilize these resources internally. And if not yeah, do you need to find somebody else or what's within your capabilities to give them the, the ammunition in such a way that it helps them be able to sell it internally? Yeah, and that's, that's a really important point. I, I tell the team here, and I've, I've, this has been consistent for me, is don't ever give someone a quote. Quotes should be banned. The only thing we should ever provide are proposals. And the reason I say that is You never want to send a document that doesn't include the value proposition specific to that particular prospect. Because when it gets sent around the office and the CFO sees it, if he's just looking at dollar versus dollar, he may not understand, well, why would I pay more for this? And so it's to your point, we need to, as salespeople, equip our prospects, even if they don't fully realize that we're equipping them, we need to equip them to be able to sell internally for us. They need to be able to sell when we're not there. Well, I think a critical point you raise is that, and it's funny, it's almost like uh, social media to some degree, is you can't ever assume, if you send just a quote, a really easy, you know, 
quickly prepared quote to somebody, you can't assume that they're just going to keep it to themselves. As you said, it's going to be circulated. Right. It's going to be shared. And it's a reflection on you. So you have to think, it's okay, if I send this information, this quote, let's say, hastily prepared quote to a prospect, yeah, is this something that I want other people that don't know me as well, don't know our company to see? And will they understand it? Absolutely agreed. Okay. All right. So let's go on to the next one here. We're sort of rushing through a little bit. Fourth element is the prospect is not willing to pay the price. Okay. I, I, I have to tell you about this one. Go. Of go. course they're not. <laughs> of course they're not. Of course they're not willing to pay the price. They're never willing to pay the price. That's, that's the most con- I'm like that with everything. And I see something that is for sale that I want. I always want it less. Yeah. Human nature. Yeah. But how, so how do you deal with that? I mean, to me, it's, you deal with it through qualification. Um, to me, one of the best ways to not say, yeah, completely stave off, but to stave off some key price-oriented objections is through how you qualify the prospect on price. Yeah, I think some of it's – so I agree with that. Part of it is on uh, qualifying them on price. Part of it is um, effectively communicating the value proposition – so sometimes that's part of it is they, they it, it may be worth very much worth the price, but you've got somebody that we haven't communicated it. We haven't communicated it effectively for them to understand how this product or service fits this critical business need that, that, that justifies the price point. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the, the key things that, that I like to teach sales reps is that, you know, when you're qualifying on price, you're really qualifying on value. And so you need to have a, a good understanding of what the value is the prospect's going to receive from using your product or service. Correct. And then, for me, price qualification is getting this preliminary agreement. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, it's a tentative agreement, but with the prospect that the value they're going to receive is worth the price that they have to pay for it. And if, I, and if they can't make that connection at that point, then you still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I'm I'm also a big advocate of getting price out there pretty early in the sales cycle. Yes, and do it with confidence. I think if if the salesperson has the they're timid, customer picks up on that. Huh? I shouldn't have to pay this much, but I think giving it out with confidence. This is this is the cost. Yeah, well, I've I had a mentor, great guy that. Um... And he published a guest post on this on my blog a couple of years ago, and it sort of set off a, <laughs> a small firestorm of, of comments about it, is his thought was, propose early and often, or quote early and often. And so he would basically use a proposal as like a discovery tool. He had, I think he that's had, brilliant. He had, yeah, he'd throw it out there, and then they're like, well, no, this isn't what we want. Well, then what do you want, right? Let's have that conversation. And... It was really a very effective tool. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about when I was doing a lot of consulting and I would, just part of my sales process was when I was working with a prospect to do uh, a large consulting engagement, I would always send them over, I, you know, we'd have the meetings, I would send them over a draft proposal. Yes. And I would say, let's, let's go through this and, and help me identify just it, it kind of how close or far off I am. It always included pricing. And it was a great starting, it was a great way for us to come together around what they were trying to accomplish and, and how much that was going to cost and the value that they would receive. 
And only after we had come to some agreement would I then send them the proposal proposal. Right. Yeah, and, and people seem to be so afraid of doing that. And I said, I was, that, that blog post that my mentor did was so controversial because people said, no, 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 that's crazy, right? You need to go through and set the, you know, carefully set the groundwork before you can give price. And I'm like, no, why are we so afraid of it? Afraid of it. And, and I think another way to position it is, you know, I'm going to give you this price and then let's, um, let's spend some time as we work together. I think you'll understand why, how this product or service justifies this price. So let's keep going. Right. You know, there's a, there's a way to frame it in, all right, now let me show you why that, that price point's actually a, a good, uh, worthwhile and appropriate price given the, the problem that, it's, that it, it can potentially solve for you. What it gets back to a point you made before is, is part of what you can do with price is it helps you sort of tell people you know, what you are, who you are for, and who you're not, who you're not for, right? My services aren't for, my services aren't for, for you because, you know, this is a value I provide for the price that that it's going to cost. And if that's something that you're not interested in, then fine. Thanks for your time. And, and there are occasions that people may feel like, or prospects may feel like, gosh, I get the value, but I, I cannot justify that because of budget constraints right now. I want to know that early. I don't want to go spend my sales cycle and then have them say, wow, that was a lot more than I had expected. <laughs> exactly. You know, I see it, but I've got some constraints around, I've got this amount of budget. And so I, I want to get that out early. I think it's, it's a kindness also to the prospect that that gets out early. Well, to both of you, right? Both of you, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I I like to use the expression. This is again, not everybody will agree with me on this, but I, I like to say is you can't get a price objection from a qualified prospect. That's a great point. That's I mean, a you, great point. You, that's right. I mean, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily in love with your price, and it doesn't mean that maybe at some point you won't end up negotiating a little bit. But if you've qualified them appropriately for price and value, that they understand that the that this is the value they're going to receive, and this is the price you're charging. And they agree that that's you know, that's a good exchange. Then you're not going to get surprised at the end of the day by the customer saying, "Well, I just can't afford this." Yeah, that's a super point, Andy. That's a great point. So yeah, it's just a simple thing. To remember, you can't get a price objection from a qualified prospect. I'm writing that one down. That's great. Yeah, just put the TM, Andy Paul. I will. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when you distribute that among your among your team, yeah, it's just a simple way for people to. To keep in mind is that you got to you got to do your work up front with the prospect, and that there could be other objections perhaps toward the end of the deal, but it's not going to be price. Yeah, I agree. I love that one. All right, so we sort of actually sort of covered the last point a little bit. It was the last point is that oftentimes you hear no is because prospect can't justify the purchase. Now, I think I think we covered it. I I I love this. You can't get a price objection from a qualified prospect. By Andy Paul. I like that one. I think that's right. I think that's it. I think that is such a salient point. Well, good. Gosh, I made your day. I, I had one you good did. I had one good thought today. So Listen, if if everybody if people are keeping score out there, I had one good can, thought. If people can contribute one good thought, I think that's I think that's victory. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Well, how are we gonna celebrate? We're celebrating our victories. How are we gonna celebrate our victories? If it wasn't seven thirty in the morning, we'd go out and have a beer. 
And if we were in the same city. And if we weren't 600 miles apart, If right? we weren't 600 miles apart, it's better than 3,000 miles apart. Better than yeah, 3,000. We would go celebrate with a beer or something. We'll do that when we we'll do that when we get together. All right, well that's that's a promise there. So, um, good. Well, this has been a great show. I mean, uh, hopefully people got a lot from this in terms of okay, what do you do? Five most common reasons people say no. How to get to yes? Uh, good article. Uh, we'll give attribution is written by Brandon Redlinger from Persist IQ, who I actually just spoke to yesterday. And uh, yeah, it's good good article. I think people should check out more of what he writes. So, great. That's been it for today. Frontline Friday, Andy Paul with my usual guest. Bridget Gleason. And we'll look forward to talking with you next week. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling, interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? You're going to text us, send a text to 96000. That's a 9 and a 6 followed by three zeros. Now enter the single word message, trust, and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.